You're watching No Go Zone with Henry. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for joining us here. We're a little bit late, so uh, thank you for your patience. If you're tuning in live, of course, if you're watching in the archives, that's none of your uh, none of your concern. Hope you're uh, having a wonderful Woden's Day today. It's the uh, 20th of September, 2023. So we have uh, what do we have? The uh, uh, is it the autumn uh, equinox tomorrow? Twenty? Is it 21st? Well, the uh, is that is that what it is? I gotta <laughs> gotta check that up. Uh, I think it's it's not in October. Then it's autumn already. We're deep into it. Man, it's going too fast. Can't even keep up with the calendar here. But anyway, uh, glad you tuned in today. We have a, a jam-packed show. Important stuff as usual to cover. Uh, I do want to begin in Ukraine a little bit because of the uh, latest uh, fascinating developments with the uh, transsexual spokesperson over there. So we'll start with that. And then I have to cover some stuff that's going on in Sweden. The uh, international reputation uh, keeps plummeting, but it's uh, it's basically smashed uh, at this point. And, and there are a couple of things that have happened more recently uh, that have taken it uh, even further in this direction. Was it last uh, last Wednesday? We covered the thirteen-year-old uh, boy, right? That been uh, been shot, been uh, roped into some of these gang criminal activities. Um, that's a disaster in of itself. Now it's getting even worse. So we'll get into that later. Uh, it uh, it's hard it's hard times. So we're we're lucky that uh, <clears throat> the next step is uh, the production of hard men, ladies and gentlemen. To get get to see that as the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, kind of as it were, but uh, anyway, good uh, good of you to uh, be uh, be with us here today. If you want to join us, enterprisestream.live slash TV. That should be up and uh, running. Uh, otherwise, Odyssey or Rumble. We have uh, super chats there as well. Rumble rants and uh, Odyssey hyper chats. Don't forget to uh, like the stream, of course, if you're watching live or after, for that matter. Uh, I'm not sure it helps. Does it help? Does it help on Rumble? Maybe it does help on Rumble a little bit. Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, we did not do a Western Warrior this weekend. I hope you uh, caught that at the uh, tail end of uh, last uh, Friday show. Uh, I actually had some family from Sweden visiting, so uh, we took it easy over the weekend and uh, early the early week here as well. Had a good time just hanging out, relaxing, uh, eating some good food, having some good conversation. That's how it goes. Uh, all right. Anyway, should we uh, should we get going with this? So we had we had some developments here. <laughs> Which is which is fascinating, right? With the transsexual, uh, the uh, tranny propagandist, as, as some people have uh, have referred to him as Sarah, yeah, Ashton Cirillo. Cirillo. I mean, this I, we came across a little bit of a short clip a while ago, and just like, is this a joke? Do you remember it? This one, Vladimir Putin, you are already in hell. We are counting your days down now. Your fascism, your totalitarianism will not get a monument, Vladimir Putin! <laughs> Slava Ukraini. <clears throat> yeah, Slava this now when they're sending their women. What are they going to do next? Send their kids to war? Uh, look, I mean, it's so. I'm, a, I'm probably more pro, more Ukrainian. Not Ukraine, because it's a state being used. We've, we've been over this. Uh, probably more pro-Ukrainian than most other people out there, to be honest. But this stuff to send your women and kids into into battle, running out of men, five hundred thousand people combined between the Russian and Ukrainian side dead. Uh, this is no good. At some point, you have to cut your losses, and and for, if your people are to remain alive at all, like it or not, if you're facing a bitter bigger opponent, if you're outgunned, even with the help of of the West. But it's not like the West is lining up their men to go die. Well, there's some volunteers, but you know that's that's not a major thing. 
Instead, what the West, NATO, what the EU is doing, what America is doing, uh, is of course to um, flush a bunch of money down the hole. Uh, and, and I'm sure some percentage of that actually ends up in the hands of, you know, the Ukrainian armed forces and things like this. But otherwise, it's, it's weapons, right? It's weapons, ammunition, it's tanks, it's jets, blah, blah, blah. Here, here, Ukrainians, go go fight on behalf of us. How the hell can you be pro-Ukrainian and sending these people to war? But anyway, at some point, you got to cut your losses and you got to sit down at the uh, negotiation negotiation table and you got to sort out this thing in terms of what's happening in eastern portions of, of Ukraine. And uh, that's just how it is. I, I don't like it. I don't have to like it. Nobody has to like it. But it's a choice you have to make uh, at some point. Anyway, so... You know, I don't relitigate this. That that's where I stand. I I I I, I want them to remain alive. I want them to be a people still. And if this continues, if they keep being bamboozled and fooled and strung along by neocon interests and Zionist interests and all this stuff, the Zelensky gang, these gay coke, coked up homosexuals uh, like Zelensky, and of course those people that uh, he is in the uh, pocket of. Uh, you know, the uh, Anthony Blinkens, the Victoria Newlands, we've been over this many, many times. Uh, the Ukrainians are going to be uh, all gone, and most people are going to flee from the country. And so at that point, you get a kind of, okay, well, well you, now it's to f- time to fess up in terms of what happened in eastern Ukraine. Uh, and you might not like it, but, I mean, if they're just uh, a bunch of commie, trash Russians over there anyway, look, I, I can kind of understand, uh, and I'm not saying they are, I'm just saying that that's some of the accusations, right, from, from some of the uh, uh, pro-Ukrainians or pro yeah, pro-Ukraine. Not pro-Ukrainians, they're pro-Ukraine. They're pro, they're pro the uh, state apparatus that has been uh, hijacked and used as a sledgehammer, right, uh, in their proxy war. But anyway, you gotta, you gotta, gotta cut that portion off then, I guess, right? Uh, you gotta take that loss and, uh, and at least you'll have a country, hopefully. Now, look, there's some people that say, well, that, you know, Putin will go for everything from beyond that and stuff. Uh, you know, we could be proven wrong in that. that that's, of course, uh, obvious, right? Uh, and you get to sit down and talk about, well, will they have NATO membership? Will they have, uh, uh, you know, EU membership, these kinds of things? Uh, and it's just what it is, like it or not. But uh, we'll see. Otherwise, the West and the forces that are controlling the West, those who are ruining our countries, will, in addition to ruin our countries, ruin those countries that uh, for some time remained, you know, f- somewhat free of some of the global homo stuff like Ukraine. But But eventually they'll go for Poland and Hungary and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that doesn't mean I like Russia. I don't, I don't like what they're doing at all either. All right. Anyway, so that's uh, this propagandist here, right, had uh, levied some uh, death threats, I guess, <clears throat> against uh, journalists and others. Uh, now, here's the controversial clip. We didn't play it at the time. It's kind of funny, but uh, here it is anyway. Russia hates the truth that their obsessive focus on a Ukrainian volunteer is simply allowing the light of the Ukrainian nation's honesty to shine brightly. Next week, the teeth of the Russian devils will gnash ever harder, and their rabid mouths will foam in uncontrollable frenzy as the world will see a favorite Kremlin propagandist pay for their crimes. And this puppet of Putin is only the first. Russia's war criminal propagandists will all be hunted down, and justice will be served as we in Ukraine are led on this mission by faith in God, liberty, and complete liberation. Complete liberation. That's right. Putin. Uh, all right. Okay, so that, that there it was. Russia responds to transgender Ukrainian officials' death threats to journalists. Was it was it technically against journalists? Was it? 
Uh, I could be I could be wrong on that. Maybe, maybe it was. Fra- favorite Russian propaganda. That could technically be anybody, right? So it's not directed at somebody. Foreign Minister spokeswoman Maria Zakharova says Sarah Ashton Kirillo's remarks reveals the true nature of the Kiev regime. And then, of course, you get the cringe gay stuff on the other side, too. Like, oh, my God, these transsexual Nazis are, you know, <laughs> are threatening journalists now. <clears throat> and there, of course, here's RT, right? It's just a matter of time before they invited uh, Jackson Hinkle, our, our favorite. Uh, there's a potent shill for you if there ever was one. Uh, <clears throat> even people who, uh, you know, you, you try to have a kind of a balanced view on this, a kind of a sensible view, like a 10,000 feet type of view on the situation. Like if you want to slava anything, you, you better have some of the, the people left in Ukraine. And at this rate, you're not going to have that. And call me crazy, but I'm actually one of the ones who are, who are, would like to see the Ukrainian people continue and the, and the country overall, hopefully, you know, thrown off the shackles uh, of those who seek to use uh, the Ukrainians and, and the nation for that matter, too. Uh, but yeah, so it's so, so him they bring on. So hopefully, we, you know, we even among the, the hardcore Ukrainians that that doesn't seem to have too much issues with like a Zelensky or even a or even a Sarah Ashton Carrillo for that matter either. There's some maybe some comments here and there, and maybe you get some of the more hardcore kind of ass of people don't really like that. But like it or not, that's the side you're fighting on, right? That's the side you're you're, you're on. That's your guys right there. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the tactical you know kind of thinking of this actually was. Was it like? You know, we have the Biden regime in the West is like all this, this fascinating. It's all this LGBTQ stuff. Now, what if we throw in a a transsexual American in there to kind of be a spokesperson for the was it the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces or whatever the actual title is? I, I think the the next tweet we'll look at here actually has the the, the the correct title. Maybe they're thinking like, then they'll just keep kind of giving us uh, arms and stuff, and maybe that's the the way to go. You know. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's your uh, that's your guy right there. Uh, <laughs> like it or not, you know what I mean? That's the side you're on. That's the side you're fighting for. Oof. But anyway, luckily, though, uh, this person has been uh, demoted. We'll get there in a moment. RT had another piece here. Uh, Kiev's threat against media are terrorism, Dutch journalist tells RT. Uh, and I'm not sure if the uh, threats were directed at this person or whatnot. Again, I don't think so. I don't think they, uh, they said anything about that. Uh, but anyway, so what happened here? Here's the uh, the official tweet here from Ukraine Territorial Defense Forces. Uh, statement of the command of the Territorial Defense Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine regarding some statements of the spokesperson of the TDF, Junior Sergeant Sarah Ashton Carrillo. The statements of... Uh, yeah, Junior Sergeant Carrillo in recent days were not approved by the command of the TDF or the command of the AFU. When conducting military operations against the aggressor, aggressor, the defense forces of Ukraine strictly observe the norms of international humanitarian law. Which is funny because any side in a, in a, uh, in a war will, uh, of course, uh, not adhere to any of that. But uh, be that as it may, it's a PR war after all, right? Uh, the command of the <laughs> nice deep fake there. Uh, the command of the TDF will conduct an official investigation into the circumstances of these statements. Appropriate decisions would be would be taken. I assume it will be taken. Sergeant Ash, uh, Sarah Ashton Carrillo will be suspended immediately pending the investigation. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, he might come back or uh, he might not come back. Putin. We'll just have to see. It remains to be seen. Uh, and I haven't seen this. Let's, let's check this one on here. 
Senator Vance recently asked the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, along with the Secretaries of State and Defense, if I was working in some capacity for the American government. It's pretty good. Simply put, <laughs> I'm an American serving as a Ukrainian infantry soldier and combat medic who was brought from the Zero Line and assigned to the TDF's media team in the dual role of spokesperson and Russian disinformation analyst. The remaining speculation surrounding me is disappointing. While in Ukraine, we are fighting for global liberty and the ideology of victory. Too many in Moscow and across the world are still caught up in focusing on the tire trope of gender chaos. Senator, yeah, the writing was yeah, so those, but uh, all right. Anyway, there you go, cool, uh, cool beans. Uh, so there you go, big, uh, big sad story out of Ukraine. There, uh, the uh, Ukrainian propagandist tranny has been suspended. We'll uh, we'll follow up, and we'll see what happens uh, when it's uh, when it's time, uh, when the investigation, I guess, is uh, is thoroughly concluded. I mean, with people like that, it turns into kind of like a circus, but that also kind of means that uh, this this person is. Uh, uh, mostly, I guess, left to their own devices. I mean, most of it obviously is directed towards the, the Western audiences. You know, that's understood. Uh, but that means it's not like some kind of, uh, you know, checking the script beforehand in terms of uh, when it goes out or something like that. Uh, but yeah, this has been a, um, a particularly aggressive uh, transsexual, this one here, who's, uh, who's <laughs> joined in in the fight. Uh, but all right, there we go. Uh, that's it. Now there were some other interesting pieces. You know, I was, we, we did that longer segment a couple of weeks ago uh, regarding what happens in uh, in Ukraine too. But man, has there been, there's been tons of flip flops. You know, if you look at uh, publications like Foreign Pol- Policy, uh, remember some of these headlines back from this is 2019, April April 1st. I don't think it's an April Fool's joke, ladies and gentlemen. April 1st, 2019, uh, Ukraine's TV president is dangerously pro-Russian. Zelensky could become the fir- uh, the country's next real-life leader if this show uh, is any guidance. Ukrainians should be worried. Remember, there's a couple of older clips with Zelensky flying around where he's actually uh, talking about sol- solving the issue in Eastern in Eastern Ukraine and you know the conflict between Russia and stuff like that. But that uh, that that changed quickly once the script changed in terms of uh, how they are going to use Ukraine, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I saw that, by the way, speaking of RT and, and how cringe they are, right? Ex-Ukraine, I, I don't like this guy. I mean, they call him a, the Chocolate King, right? Uh, uh, Poroshen- Poroshenko. Ex-Ukrainian president pictured wearing Nazi symbol photos. Oh, no. Poroshenko wore the sonorod or black sun patch on his shoulder while visiting troops. Now, this that would be, what, basically his only singular redeeming quality, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to be honest. And I remember, again, for, uh, you know, Foreign Policy Journal, they had that there, right? But So he, they've been trying to revamp him, right, as a kind of a, uh, a nationalist and stuff like that. Now, he was, of course, one of the, the, the puppet uh, leaders that the West uh, put in place after um, the um, Maidan, right? And again, uh, you can understand the, the political differences and all that stuff and, and, and their internal you know, problem and quagmire and their own fighting back and forth, blah, blah, blah. But, but at the end of the day, when Eastern, some of the Eastern portions of Ukraine saw that basically, oh, they pulled off their coup over there in, in Kiev, uh, maybe we can do the same here and overthrow uh, our leaders and put you know, kind of our guys in place and blah, blah, blah. And of course, that did not go down well. Uh, and of course, that's basically since 2014, the, the 
uh, Kiev has been at war, you could say, with, with many parts of eastern Ukraine, the, the Donbass and, and uh, Luhansk and some of these regions. So a lot of Russian speakers there, ethnically Russian, uh, obviously it's very similar ethnic group, but there are differences. Uh, but anyway, so that's what uh, that's what happened in the, those parts. And Poroshenko, when he was put in, he was called a, the chocolate king, right? Because it was like a it was running candy factories and stuff like that. And it was like, uh, let's pick uh, Newland was like, uh, let's take this guy. We can we can buy him out. That's easy. You know, so hardcore pro Western instead of then, you know, leaning towards uh, Russia and so forth. And, I, you know, again, I'm sure there were nat- like a, a, a obviously a natural grassroots kind of like opposition in Ukraine to Russia, considering the history there, right? So when people like, uh, you know, uh, Gay Hinckley here brings up, oh, well, they're all Nazis in Ukraine, and oh, my God, Biden is funding the Nazis. Uh, and it's like, no, they're using uh, the the National Socialists. They're using Azov in, in Ukraine. Uh, and if they ever will if it will win, if they ever, if Ukraine comes out of this alive, is if, if Azov comes out of this alive, uh, they will be vehemently purged, uh, I believe. Uh, again, that remains to be seen. Uh, but preferably, I think uh, the, the anti-West, uh, hating Western forces that are controlling Ukraine uh, would love to use... Uh, the nationalism in Ukraine and the fervent, you know, national socialist kind of uh, elements there uh, in their war effort against uh, Russia. They're happy to get let them go down on the front lines. They're using them uh, as as cattle uh, for their battle. That's what they're doing. And I think that's a dumb move to make. It's like, well, we're going to ju- we're going to sign a contract with the devil to defeat Satan. You know, that is kind of like what it is. Right. Uh, maybe a third option. It's very hard. I, I get it. Right. But maybe a third option would be better. Not fight on, on any of these people's sides. Uh, it's a little bit of hubris. Think you're going to come out of this alive and do well? I don't. I don't think so, to be honest. Uh, but anyway, so they threw in the chocolate king, right? Uh, this is also from. Is this 2019? Yeah, April April 5th, 2019. So this is like four days after that uh, first story there about uh, Zelensky and Ukraine's TV president. Um, Poroshenko's last-minute nationalist makeover, right? Ukraine's president is making a desperate gambit to win re-election and to remain politically relevant if he loses. Uh, but so, as I said, the grassroots kind of natural opposition to Russia has, of course, a lot to do with the history there. With Bolshevism, with the Holodomor, with all these kinds of things. So I get that they want to fight them tooth and nail. My argument is just you, you can't go and join uh, a, a team that also wants you dead in, in your effort to, to to have the other guy dead, uh, but I guess that's too complicated for most people. They they like it kind of just like you know on and on or off switch. There's no variable. There's no grayscale. They just want it either, either you do this, either you do that, and that's that. Uh, and I think it will, uh, they'll pay a, a heavy price uh, for that at the end. And I'd, I'd like for the Ukrainian people to not have to go through that, uh, but uh, it it doesn't look good, right? All right, so anyway, a bunch of puppets, essentially. Now, the money thing has been interesting, too, right, in terms of how much money that the West have spent on this. Uh, and again, a lot of this goes down into, uh, you know, private pockets, most likely. A lot of this is squandered. A lot of this is, this is some people have said, uh, Ukraine is so corrupt that this is basically just a money laundering operation. And that's that's probably part of it, to be honest, right? But the Council on Foreign Relations had a uh, chart on this here, right? And this is not updated. This is... Uh, uh, up to January 24th, 2022. I'm sorry, uh, bilateral aid to Ukraine between, here we go, January 24th, 2022 and May 20, 31st, 2023. 
So there are, of course, additional billions here, right? But the total stands at 76.8 billion. That's a lot of money, folks. That's a shit ton of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Remember this? Back in, uh, what was the date on this? De yeah, this is December 23rd, 2020, uh, 2022. Uh, the House passes a $1.7 trillion government funding bill. And of course, what was the uh, one of the main oomphs behind this was, of course, Ukraine aid, right? A, a massive amount of that was like, let's 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 do Ukraine aid. Uh, and now, of course, they're standing in front of the, much of a similar situation. Uh, we'll get into that again. Uh, government shutdown, and we have uh, more tr trillions and trillions and trillions. My point is as well, a as the West kind of crumbles and, and, and trillions or, or, you know, tens of billions just go down the drain, um, up in smoke, you could say, literally, beyond the money that's pocketed, this is money that literally is going up in smoke, right? Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it would be better at this point to kind of cool it a little bit on that front. Uh, here's from August this year, 2023. Biden administration seeks billions more in Ukraine aid, teeing up congressional fight. It's a little reminder here, right? Uh, and uh, ha an interesting thing happened on CNN before we get to the naval story on, on Russia and Ukraine there, uh, where someone actually called out uh, Jake Tapper for being a, uh, a uh, warmonger, I think was the uh, line that was used here. Now, he's talking to some guy in New Delhi. Doesn't really look Indian, though. It looks more Middle Eastern. Uh, but I'll take it. it, it it's uh, it's good. It's it's true that the media uh, who's been getting their talking points from a lot of the same neocon guard that uh, ran some uh, you know the majority of American foreign policy for the last few decades uh, are now doing the same in Ukraine, continuing to using them for their geopolitical purposes. Right? I'm glad that somebody called them out, the media out. Listen to this here. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk. Uh, has recently confirmed a report that last year Musk blocked access to his Starlink satellite network in Crimea. Should there be repercussions for that? Not at all, Jake. Uh, Elon Musk saved the world from a bigger war by refusing to accept Zelensky's demands. Really? N none of this concerns you? Not at all. And I think you should be happy about it, too. But you're not because you work for CNN. And CNN is a warmonger who profits more as the war escalates. So... You, Jake. Is that a is that a fake? <laughs> is that fake? I can't even determine. Sometimes did someone add themselves in over that? <laughs> I, I think it was real. I think it was live. I saw the clip going around. Uh, I think that was uh, that was legit, uh, ladies and gentlemen. But of course, that would be very easy to do. Uh, yeah, there was a big uh, drama over the Black Sea Fleet, right? Then the, uh, the the well, the Crimea thing. Uh, Elon Musk, right? He wanted to. Uh, they demanded that the Ukraine demanded that Elon Musk uh, flips the switch over that part of the world so that they could, you know, have communications and send some of their, you know, uh, unmanned vehicles and drones and things like that into uh, Crimea to to go after their um, their naval fleet there, Russia's naval fleet. Now, apparently, the story first as it came out. Uh, was that he turned it off or something like that. And it was, I forget who it was that wrote the bio, some biography on Musk or something like that, uh, which was a, b a big lie, apparently. And it turned out that he just had never switched it on to begin with there. Uh, and of course, then it was shamed after that and stuff like that. And, it, and it's fascinating when they're beginning to demand something of like one guy like that. that it's one of the reasons why you can't, you know, you don't really kind of can't really trust uh, an Elon Musk, right? Uh, such tremendous amounts of like infrastructure in such you know vitally important geopolitical things. Uh, on the other hand, they have been genuinely 
pissed off at Musk for it and genuinely upset about it. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, if he loses everything <laughs> and gets everything, all the contracts with like NASA and uh, you know the uh, the the, the Starlinks, like if they take if they conf- like confiscate like his you know internet infrastructure and you know SpaceX or something like that, uh, then it's like oh. <laughs> Willie, look at that. It turns out he's, he was probably legit all along then. Uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, so what's well, a kind of a, a strange and, and contradictory story when it comes to the Black uh, Black Sea Fleet and the attack there? I don't want to spend too long on this, but um, Russia issued some statements and said that they had destroyed three Ukrainian naval drones. This is uh, about, about a week ago or so. Moscow said Wednesday it had destroyed three Ukrainian uh, drone boats in the Black Sea after a first Ukrainian attack in the morning uh, against a shipyard in Russian annexed Crimea. The defense minister said in a statement on Telegram that its Black Sea fleet aviators had, quote, detected and destroyed three unmanned boats of the Ukrainian army. Now, I'm not sure if this was, was this also where they wanted to use Starlink and, and had a, have a bigger attack that didn't happen, or maybe, I think it might have been a few days actually in between this. Uh, and this attack, the Black uh, the Black uh, Sea Fleet attack, says that Ukraine and Russia have increased attacks in the Black Sea since Moscow pulled out of a key deal ensuring the safe navigation of cargo ships. Earlier on Wednesday, Russia's defense, and this is last Wednesday, then Russia's defense ministry said that Ukraine miss, uh, cruise missiles had struck a shipyard in the Crimean port of Sevastopol overnight. Russia, which annexed uh, Crimea in 2014, said that Ukraine used three uh, maritime drones and 10 cruise missiles in the attack, which it claimed damaged two ships undergoing repairs. And it looks like Russia didn't say too much about this. This was uh, Bellum Akta had this. The armed forces of Ukraine attacked the uh, ship repair plant in Sevastopol at night with the 10 cruise missiles, kind of uh, like we read, right? And three unmanned boats on a detachment of ships of the Black Sea Fleet, the Ministry of Defense reports. Air defense systems shot down seven cruise missiles, and the patrol ship Vasily Bakov destroyed all unmanned boats as a result of being hit by enemy cruise missiles. Two ships undergoing repairs were damaged. Now, listen to this here. Here's a British military analyst here. Uh, Russia's Black Sea ships will take very long time to repair. It, it, what it felt like is this, you know, they kind of have to have some like progress for the West to continue to have this kind of insane level of monetary and, and uh, you know, military type of support. And so they got to have some, some W's kind of coming into the picture. I understand if Russia would just want to kind of downplay it, even if it was serious. I'm like, oh, it's you know, it's nothing to us, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But it, it it looks like it wasn't that of a it wasn't that huge of a deal, essentially that that big of a deal. But but the West and 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 you can overplaying this right to say, oh my, look at what a successful plan. Anyway, listen to this. It's kind of uh, it contradicts obviously uh, some of the other information that we got of how bad it was. But and the reason that uh, by the way I should mention the UK. Uh, was so hot on this uh, particular topic as well, is that they were using one of their uh, purported uh, missile. What is it called again? I forgot what it's called. Maybe they bring it up in the clip. I'll see if I can find it here. But uh, one of uh, Britain's, uh, you know, one of their kind of high-end missiles. Not a Tomahawk. It'll come to me. Anyway, check this out here. Listen to this. 
Yeah, I mean, this was the attack bell a couple of days ago on Sevastopol, which is the main uh, naval base for the Black Sea Fleet down in, in the Crimea. Very successful attack. They've got two big ships. We're now hearing the Ukrainians are claiming that they've also damaged one of these little corvettes. It's actually a hovercraft, um, but carries quite a few missiles, and, and that that's been seen towed away. So it's quite likely that they've damaged some other ships. Already, the Russians have moved out most of their fleet to Novorossiysk, um, which is their uh, Black Sea port in, inside Russia itself because Sevastopol is just too dangerous. And the Ukrainians have been successful in making Sevastopol non-viable for the Black Sea Fleet. And there's- Yeah, Storm Shadow, that's what they're called. Storm Shadow missiles uh, hit Russia's Black Sea Fleet headquarters. It's- Some of the stills that have now come out that the Ministry of Defense in Britain has endorsed show this sort of the damage. I mean, that's the Rapucha-class landing craft on the left there. Um, that's the Minsk. And on the right here is the submarine. It's the Rostov-on-Don, which is a Kilo-class submarine. And you can see the fire damage on the, the tops of those ships. Interestingly, here's a block of houses or buildings five stories high. And you can see from that five-story building next to the shipyards itself, next to the dry docks, you just see the size of these things. And most analysts would say, well, looking at the damage, specialists would say, you're not going to see those ships in operation again. Probably never, and certainly not in the next few years. That's, that is catastrophic damage in, in shipbuilding terms. What does that mean for the Russian Navy then? Well, for the Black Sea Fleet, the Russians have got about 30 ships in the Black Sea Fleet, major warships, and they've already lost the flagship, the Moskva, which was April last year. They've lost now a kilo-class submarine, first time a submarine has been lost. Can someone explain? I saw this clip earlier. Does Russia have a flag that's very similar to the Swedish flag? Anybody know that? I mean, I know there's some, like, the naval flags are very different, right? They have a one of them... Well, it's the one next to them there too, right? But like a cross of St. Andrew or like a uh, uh, like a Scottish, right? A Scottish type of flag and stuff like that. It just looks like a Swedish flag. Am I, am I wrong on that? It's a side note. It doesn't really matter in the scope of things, but it's, it's one of those weird things. Why the hell do they do that? Um, okay. Let's keep they've, they've only got uh, three of them, uh, so they've lost one. They've lost three uh, of these Rapucha-class uh, dist- uh, landing ships. They've got five uh, or six of those. They've now lost three of them. So they're losing some ships, plus lots of other ships, like that little corvette that we were talking about before. And they can't get any more ships into the, Bolt- into the Black Sea because the Bosphorus is closed to warships. So they've only got what they started with. And the Ukrainians, remember, don't have a navy. So they're being reduced in terms of the Black Sea fleet by a, a power that doesn't even have a navy. Um, it, you know, they won't lose the war because of this, but it strains their ability to launch missiles, particularly because uh, the, the, uh, the, the submarines were capable of launching uh, these caliber missiles at the grain uh, ports of Odessa and Chernomorsk and so on. And so losing one of those right out of uh, Sevastopol, it, it makes life more difficult for the Russians. Uh, all right. So not a, I mean, not a huge thing, right? Uh, I mean, every, every small victory is a, is a victory, I guess. Oh, that's weird. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it was a weird coverage of this here, to be honest, right? Weird uh, story. And then Russia didn't seem to like talk about it at all much, not even recognizes like, oh, we, we had destroyed a couple of these things. Again, I mean, if you're, as the uh, quote goes, right? If you're, if you're uh, strong, appear weak. If you're weak, appear strong. They could be one of those kinds of things. But anyway, here's why Britain, uh, you know, kind of covered this quite extensively. Storm shadow missiles hit Russia, as we said. Uh, UK supplied weapons used by Ukraine against military targets in Kremlin-occupied Crimea. It's updated from this is from uh, from today. Then I guess uh, maybe that has been confirmed in some kind of way. 
Uh, Ukrainian military said it hit a command post near Sevastopol where the Black, Sh- uh, Black Sea Fleet is based. Uh, is this a secondary one or are they referring to the same uh, the same uh, attack here essentially, right? Uh, cost per unit, check this out, 1,270,000. Ewf! <clears throat> All right, well, that's uh, money well spent, I guess. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> they want you enslaved. After that, dead. On uh, Odyssey, it says, uh, Jews run UK, Ukraine, France, Germany, USA, Russia, now add countries. That's not Jew owned or ran. Think hard. There's not any. There's not many. Probably about five, maybe four, maybe three, maybe two, maybe one, maybe none now. It's all Shoah business. Um, yeah, thank you for the uh, for that. They want you enslaved. Nah, yeah, that's not many. Uh, probably. I mean, if you look at the same forces that are uh, trying to dictate. Uh, it, I mean, you, people will say, "Well, the oh, the BRICS countries," you know, kind of thing. But we've talked about that many times. It's these, you know, internal jokes now, right? We're like, "Oh, do you want to be? Uh, how how bad? How which which side do you want to pick?" And you know, I kind of view even the conflict in the same way. Like. Well, neither, obviously, right? They're, they're both they're both bad. I don't want to go with the West and NATO, obviously, right? But there's look, there's some people who are uh, they call themselves white nationalists, and they're they're fine lining up with these uh, overall same forces that have been trying to destroy us for such a long time. And I just think that's a very personally, I just think that's a very odd and very very odd uh, position to take. Uh, if there were like decent and good people in control of many of these institutions and uh, you know international military organizations like NATO and stuff like that, like uh, okay, sure. <laughs> but at this point, like the same ones that have been targeting us, uh, no, I don't think so, right? Uh, but it was that the BRICS countries. Like, would you want to be? See if I can find the the tweeter. Do you want to be part of the uh, the uh, Western anti what anti Western faction or just the uh, uh, the non Western anti Western side <laughs> which is basically the BRICS countries yeah here it is check this out it's a good twitter account this one by the way i, I should uh try to reach out to this guy here kunkli drukpa did i pronounce it uh here's the here's your multipolar world here right could russia's new alliance of a closeted gay brown third worldism provide a geopolitical counterweight to the west's openly gay brown third worldism <laughs> and i mean that's essentially true right we had a there were a couple of tweets from uh from dugan and again we didn't cover that at the time right but it was like they've been fawning over africa and and uh was the the it was some term dugan used in the tweet man i should pull that out i I took down a couple of notes from it um the melon the melanated people are there was some weird weird term like that that he used but it was just like fawning over (laughs) essentially like uh just non-whites which is like weird it was like what's going on here right uh, so, here, so here's your choice, right? The new multipolar world order. Uh, the the key differences here, folks, is very important. If you if you go with the BRICS, regards the West as an obstacle to progress, while the West, of course, regards the West as an obstacle to progress as well. Huh? Fascinating. Uh, the BRICS wants to redistribute Western wealth globally, and the West, remarkably, also wants to redistribute Western wealth globally, which we've already have done. Look at the age of Africa that we talked about, right? How many of us have 60 Marshall plans or something ridiculous? <laughs> it's just like, okay. Uh, the BRICS wants to see the West settled by non-Westerners, which is the same, of course, happening now in the West. They both hate, hate the West. 
it looks like the only difference here is you have a, a closeted gay uh, side and then you have the openly uh, gay side. Slightly facetious, but uh, you know, it's uh, you know, sometimes the memes are, are more true than not. Uh, Russian army thwarts Ukrainian drone attacks on Bryansk, Crimea, and warship in Black Sea. So that, that's the take that they had. Like we just, we basically uh, thwarted. It wasn't that big of an, an attack. And then they had this interesting piece. Unable to attack Crimea, Kyiv declared new fake victory in the Black Sea. Now this, these are very, this is very hard to you know confirm these uh, from afar. Is the information about this the fake shit, uh, or is it what the uh, what the Kiev regime is trying to claim? That's the fake shit. Says here anyway. On September 11th, we can hear we can hear the other side for once. We know what the Western media reported on with Ukraine. It was that this was a great victory, right? Uh, on September 11th, the Ukrainian military announced a new media victory in the Black Sea after several unsexual, unsuccessful attempts to reach the Crimean Peninsula. The Kyiv forces decided to shoot another TikTok video on an abandoned drilling platform located dozens of kilometers to the west of the peninsula. The main intelligence director of Ukraine declared that the Ukrainian military landed on the drilling platform known as Boy- Boyko Towers. Located in the western part of the Black Sea, the claims were supported by footage from the spot. It says a unique operation to take control of the Boyo, uh, Bo- Boyko rather, Towers was carried out by units of the GUR and the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, in particular the drilling platforms, uh, blah, 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 and uh, Ukraine, as well as Tavrida and the whatever came back under control, the GUR said in a statement. The details of the operations are not disclosed, but it was mentioned that it included several episodes during one of the combat sorties. A group of Ukrainian servicemen landed on a platform. According to the GUR, Ukrainian forces managed to capture valuable trophies, which included a stock of helicopter ammunition of the NAR type, which is unguided aircraft missiles, as well as the NEVA radar, which is aimed to track the movement of ships in the Black Sea. It also claimed that during one of the sorties, I'm not sure, is that a kind of translated word of that? Anyway, Ukrainian boats were attacked by Russian Su-30 fighters. Uh, A video shared by the GUR includes footage of various operations of the Ukrainian groups in the Black Sea. Since August, activities of Ukrainian boats in the western part of the Black Sea were confirmed by various military sources, as well as by Russian military officials. However, most of them ended in failure and destruction of numerous Ukrainian boats, including those heading towards the Crimean Peninsula and operating near the Zimny Island. Thus, the media campaign on the drilling platforms turned out to be a costly adventure. The goal of the operation is also obscure. According to Ukrainian military, the control of the Boyko Towers is an important step towards Ukrainian control of the Crimean Peninsula, but another victory is nothing but a media campaign which has no impact on the military situation in the area. Uh, And it says here, the claims of Ukrainian control of the facilities are fake. Now this is South Frontier, obviously, so they're they're pro-Russian here, obviously, so they could they could do their own gay spin on this, obviously. Back in 2014, the platform came under Russian control, and in 2015, they were moved closer to the coast of Crimea. Until the summer of 2022, they operated normally and served as radar and radio surveillance posts, as well as an Im- immediate base for Russian military. In June 2022, the AFU launched a missile strike, which forced the evacuation of personnel from there. All workers were evacuated, and no Russian military forces were guarding the platforms. In its turn, the Ukrainian military cannot take control of the platform since Ukraine has no fleet to secure them. All Ukrainian servicemen fled to the area immediately after they took photos there. 
uh, South Front claims here. Probably the Ukrainian military could install any tracking devices, radar stations, or electronic warfare systems on the platform, but the Russian military will easily destroy them and restore all necessary equipment there if necessary. The Russian side has not yet com uh, commented on such information. Nevertheless, in an attempt to make an epic video and declare another fake victory, the Ukrainian military lost several boats with professional servicemen on board over the past week alone, uh, they say. Uh, you know, and of course, this is what this is what happens. A lot of it uh, has been about uh, TV production, right? Uh, so let me see if we can find that clip again. TV producers, right? M remember the the when the media was fawning over them, saying that this is basically just a, a big TV production in the beginning. Not 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 the war, but I'm saying like the uh, Zelensky side. Uh, I'll see if I can find it here. It's uh, it's pretty incredible the admissions are. It's basic. It's incredible what they've been able to do with just an, an ex television producer team essentially for Zelensky, which makes it so bizarre, right? With the uh, the role that he played. Forget what the character was called now. Um, what was the TV show called again? Uh, literally just like a, a year or two before he actually got elected he played he played the role on, on ukrainian tv and then he got in and he, he's continuing to play a role essentially being in the pocket of these people uh, anyway speaking of money here uh approximately 13 billion was allocated for the marshall plan from 1948 to 1952 in aid to the reconstruction of germany and of course it was more than just that this was how they got their you know, footing through the door. This is how, how Germany have remained an occupied country to this day. So there's a lot of other things going on here. Uh, other European countries were given this kind of money as well, of course. And it was basically like kind of a, I mean, they had their boot on their neck anyway, but it was kind of like a bribe. Like, you, you, you're you our bitch now, okay? Uh, here, here's some money. Okay, go ahead and reconstruct some of your stuff, rebuild. Uh, it's all fine. But uh, when we tell you to, uh, to jump, you say how high. And that's how it's continued to this day. When adjusted for inflation, this would be roughly equivalent to around $150 billion in today's dollars. Comparatively, the question arises about how much has been sent arming Ukraine for a prolonged conflict, which adds to the destruction rather than focusing on peace talks, setting new borders, and using that same substantial amount of $150 billion to rebuild the country. Uh, tons of billions right, have been poured into this effort, and the question is, is it uh, worth it? Um, I don't think so, because you end up with a bunch of dead Ukrainians and, and dead Russians at the end of the day, while uh, while people who run BlackRock is uh, is laughing all the way to uh, to their uh, to their safe. Essentially, that's that's what's happening, right? So they, they the Lockheeds they they provide you know the uh, you know the, the the weaponry, right? One of the biggest weapons manufacturers in the world. Uh, the more NATO expands, right? The more expectations it is on those countries you know sweden and well finland is the latest to join sweden has joined after that and i want to they want to keep expanding it right uh, and so when these uh, countries sign up they they are expected to come under the nato you know standard of of military equipment and so of course lockheed you know they, they're going to settle, settle more you know f-35s now and uh, they're doing very well very well on this so they're part of you know making money on arming uh, the NATO countries arming Ukraine, helping to the, the overall production of military equipment. Now, Europe is running out of it, right? There's another thing, running out of ammunition, running out of things. So it's, it's big business. But in this like Halliburton move, right, you have, of course, 
the Blackrocks, the Vanguards, the State Street being some of the majority shareholders in Lockheed. Now, percentage-wise, it's more, I think, in private hands than on some of those um, uh, shareholder companies like those. But of those shareholder companies, the same usual suspects are the biggest ones when it comes to Lockheed, for example. And then, of course, BlackRock moves in and going to be the great funder of the rebuilding effort in Ukraine as well. And, and you know, who's going to fund that? It's also tiresome. It's, it's, it's always the same story, right? All right. So another thing that happened here is that uh, Zelensky was meeting with one of his um, Israeli bros. Remember when, when Zelensky is not like uh, you know standing in front of the cameras. He he's buying he's buying properties uh, in Israel for his parents and things like that. And he's buying in other parts of the world too, by the way, like the French Riviera. I forget all the places he had. Like he has several, I think, in uh, was it Miami or it somewhere in Florida, uh, Georgia, I think, or something like that. Tons of properties. I mean, he, he's become a wealthy man playing this playing this role as he has. Uh, but here he is uh, meeting with. Uh, Netanyahu here is uh, some of the footage here. Sir, how are you? Thank you so much. Good to see you. How are you? I'm good. Okay. I see you all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a very big team. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, they cut off the uh, the vi- the audio feed here for this uh, video. Zelensky uh, was asked, "What do you expect from Israel?" Zelensky says, "A lot, but I don't say it publicly." Uh, are you satisfied with Israel's position? He was asked, and Zelensky said, "We'll see after our meeting." Uh, now, apparently, the meeting between Zelensky and Netanyahu um, uh, has concluded here. This happened today, right? And and based on its result, the president of Ukraine said that it was very, very good and productive. Uh, they've wanted to have uh, a lot of help, you know, kind of from uh, Israel, obviously. Uh, here's another clip of them uh, talking at the top of his meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. Ukraine's President Zelensky gave a big look at this here. Gave a big hug to the director of the Mossad spy agency, David Barnia. David, I guess it is Barnia. This could indicate that it's not the first time they've met. How about that? Hey, bro, how are you doing? Thank you for all your work. I couldn't hear where I said that. Zelensky said, as always, right, didn't he? Let's listen to that again. Turn it up a little bit. Uh, I can't hear that. Uh, the Mossad, Mossad agent was uh, very uh, very quiet there, I guess, right? Uh, all right. There you go. So, uh, top meeting here today between, uh, uh, between one... Uh, Jewish uh, dictator, uh, I guess, to another. Of course, you know the, the the great democracy, right? That's that's Ukraine now. Obviously, Israel is that too, naturally. Uh, but um, that's why they ban their opposition parties and, and and you know for homogenizing all their TV production under one channel and things like that. It's it's, to- it's totally normal. No, don't worry about it at all. Um, here is uh, I twenty four Israeli television here, uh, basically talking about what, uh, what you know, what kind of what Israel wants in this situation. Uh, expecting a lot, Zelensky sat down to talk with Netanyahu on the sidelines of the um, UN. What does it stand for again? The uh, what does it stand for General Assembly, I, I guess it is, right? The UNGA. UNGA, General Assembly of the United Nations, General Assembly, what Netanyahu needs to balance. Check this out. Here it says they're playing the both sides at the same time. Um, we're, we're both with BRICS 
and we're also with the West until we can see who comes out on top. That's what it feels like. What Netanyahu needs to balance is the Russian-Iranian relationship. It's important from Israeli perspective to keep leverage, says Israeli diplomat. Listen to this here. The Ukrainians have uh, uh, always been asking for more support. Uh, they ask Israel for more support. They ask their uh, countries of Europe and America for more support. They need more. They're gallantly fighting to defend their country. We can understand that. I think what Netanyahu needs to balance is the following. Uh, uh, the Iranian-Russian relationship has grown a lot closer. And as you know, the uh, Iranians have been giving uh, drones, combat drones, to, to, the, to the Russians. And uh, uh, there's concerns in Jerusalem. What is, what is going to be the, you know, the Russian payoff for this? How, how is Russia going to pay back? And there's the concern about the delivery of certain weapon systems to, to, to Iran from Russia. And I think it's important from an Israeli perspective that we keep leverage. And it's probably important mm -hmm. that we say to the Russians, listen, we're not going to do this if you don't do that. Wow. It's good always in international relations, especially when you're dealing with regimes like the Russian regime, to have, uh, to have a few cards to play. The Ukrainians <laughs> have uh, uh, always been asking for more support. Yeah, they ask there you go. Playing both sides at the same time, right? I was looking for one tweet here because someone brought it up. Here, here it is. Let me, let me see if I can... Let me see if we can save this down real quick here. It's f funny about the Azov thing and the Israeli thing, right? Uh, I remember at the beginning, we covered this quite a bit here of the uh, kind of the, the well, what looks like the, the Jewish branch of the right sector, right? Uh, let me see if I can just save that down. Yeah, there it is right there. Let me show you this here. Check this out. <clears throat> the the uh, t the uh, well the first one was uh, Ukraine embassy in the USA uh, in Uman Ukraine's National Guard brigade as of service member with the call sign Rabbi embraces with ultra orthodox Jewish pilgrim during a celebration of the Rosh Hashanah holiday the Jewish New Year uh, and of course as you can see there if you uh, <clears throat> zoom in so I, I assume I assume that's the Rabbi right. Unless that's the rabbi too, he's the fighter, right? But of course, there he has the Star of David, right, on the ass, on the um, right sector patch there, the, the flag, right? Someone said it's nice to see. Uh, who was this? A culture worm on Telegram said it's nice to see that Jews and Nazis can set aside their apparent minor differences and hate Russians together. Welcome to the new world order, or something. And it's like, well, these are these are two Jewish guys, bro. Uh, this has uh, this has nothing to do with uh, any national socialists here, right? Because uh, <clears throat> one of the comments here, one of the reasons why I bring that up. Let me go over here so we can we can see what's going on. Um, uh, they want you enslaved again. Here says uh, brilliant check. You have their man. Uh, it's show up business and chaos to the end. Many thanks, my good man. Thank you for your support. Appreciate that. Um, the the regarding you know how many uh, people that are dying, how many on the front lines, right? So the 400,000 dead Ukrainians, that's an estimated number now, what percentage of that is Jewish? And what percentage of the pre-war population was Jewish? Uh, Edward Edwardson says on Rumble, and it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Would Zelensky run, run his operation in the same way if he was prime minister of Israel as opposed to Ukraine, right? It, it begs the question. Uh, call me crazy, but again, I'd like to see less Ukrainians dead. We'll suck on that um, for a while. What was the other one here? 
Oh, was that one? I think did we miss someone? Oh, we had some protests as well, right? They're they're meeting in New York. Netanyahu is meeting up with all these people. Let's do Elon then, right? Because again, here's another uh, again, overlap here, right? Uh, Elon Musk said history is written by the victors. Listen to uh, to this comment as he's meeting with Netanyahu here. I'm not. I think this is recently. I don't think this is uh, from a while ago. I think this is. You know, the, the, like there's an old saying, like uh, history is written by the by the victors. It's like, well, yes, but not if your enemies are still alive, have a lot of time on their hands to edit Wikipedia. <laughs> history is history is written by the people who can harness the most editors. Yeah, I mean, you know, Do you say who can harness the most editors, or does it say, does it say energies? Wasn't that what Netanyahu says? <laughs> History is, written, <laughs> history is written by the people who can harness the most editors. Yeah, I mean... I think he says editors, right? It was kind of interesting. Just get more editors. Keep on writing the story. You know, the, the, whoever, the loser has just got a lot of time on their hands. And, uh, you know, it's just, what do they do? Edit Wikipedia. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> You know, the, the, While they control on that. Well, I mean, point, point well taken, but some people were linking up, of course, the... Uh, uh, the uh, connection Torba had that one too. We posted this a while back as well. Uh, we want to ensure Wikipedia remains Zionist in na- nature. Uh, would you, and this is, of course, the ex uh, or the previous then Prime Minister, right? Naftali Bennett, uh, which was, uh, uh, you know, Netanyahu got in in a kind of interesting thing. And now he's doing the overhaul, right? The judicial overhaul, Netanyahu, which actually a lot of Israelis are against and stuff. And there's tons of protests anyway. But anyway, a little reminder here. Remember this? Moetzet Yesha, in conjunction with My Israel, uh, has arranged an instruction day for wiki editors. The goal of the day is to um, teach people how to edit in Wikipedia, which is the number one source of information today in the world. As a way of example, if someone searches the Gaza flotilla, we want to be there. We want to be the guys who influence what is written there, how it's written, and to ensure that it's balanced and uh, Zionist in the nature. That's balanced, exactly. What's <clears throat> nice and balanced Zionist in, uh, in, <laughs> in nature. I see. What the hell is that? All right. Um, which, of course, which is interesting, right, with the... Uh, uh, all the intelligence uh, people that v- edit Wikipedia and stuff like that too, right? What was it? The co-founder, forget his name now, uh, who said like, oh, we basically discovered like uh, on bank holidays and like when the government employees were not working, there was like hardly any edits on Wikipedia those days. Look, they have a whole barrage of, of course, left-wing uh, shit-libs lunatics that are also editing in there. But, you know, what's the difference really between like intelligence people and, and, and government ops and that today? Not much, to be honest. All right. So anyway, so... Um, the other thing happening here in uh, New York with a uh, meeting with Netanyahu is uh, Biden uh, link up here as well. Under your leadership, Mr. President, we can forge a historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Israel Prime Minister Netanyahu and the U.S. President Biden discuss Saudi-Israeli normalization on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. This honor. Thank you, Mr. President. Joe, we've been uh, friends for, I've checked it over 40 years. And uh, our friendship goes a long way and takes us a long way. A little bad audio here. I, uh, I'm delighted to see it. I think we live at a time of great promise, but also great danger. Uh, you just spoke about that great promise 
G20 meeting that you participated and led, you spoke about an economic corridor that would link Asia, the Middle East, and Europe together. And such a corridor will make us a very important hub and a highway of unprecedented prosperity. But I think, and you think, that it can do something much bigger than that. Yeah, which is to bring in billions to billions of Indians to Europe, right? <laughs> or, or just a, just a few hundred million or so. And I think such a peace would go a long way first to advance the end of the Arab-Israeli conflict, achieve reconciliation between the Islamic world and the Jewish state, and advance a genuine peace between Israel and the Palestinians. This is uh, something within our reach. I, I believe that uh, working together we can make history and create a better future for the region and beyond. All right, cuts off there. The audio was a bit bad there, but... Yeah, so this is, of course, the corridor. This is, uh, I mean, Israel is already part of that. It's called the Belt and Road Initiative, but, of course, that's in, you know, Chinese and Israeli hands, essentially. And now the U.S. is trying to see, do their own. It's just like this dumb gay... Um, just let, let's, you saw that when, uh, Garcetti, right? Uh, Eric Garcetti, the former disgraced mayor of LA, who's now the, uh, uh the ambassador, the U S ambassador to India was down there, uh, during the G20 meeting and just bothered them up and, 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 and basically like a, trying to bribe them, right? Like, don't go with the bricks, go with us instead. We'll build this new, uh, I don't know, this new economic corridor. And of course I don't want any of it. The Belt and Road Initiative is bad, right? Uh, whatever this corridor is would be bad. And, and, and as soon as you get, like, you know, intense economic cooperation, unfortunately in this day, it wouldn't have to be like that, but in this day and age, that also means, of course, intense flows of people as well, unfortunately. So now the U.S. is involved in building this corridor from Asia, you know, directly into Europe, essentially. And you know that it's just going to be, like, worse and worse. So there's maximizing globalization on both sides, whether it's the West or whether it's the BRICS. Uh, but yeah, the, the, they're basically going to bribe India to go to go like with the U.S. side right now, as they seek to de-dollarize and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and India is trying to play both sides, just like Israel is trying to play both sides, just like Turkey is trying to play both sides. And that can be costly at the end of it. We'll see how, how it goes. Maybe they'll uh, they, they get to side, you know, with the winner or whatever or the winner, but uh, the ones that uh, ends up in a dominant position, essentially. Uh, we'll see what goes on with there. Anyway, there were some uh, Jews and Israelis out protesting uh, outside of the hotel where Biden was meeting Netanyahu. Um, so let's put this up. Can they, can they not protest uh, this uh, shit in Israel? Why do they have to be in uh, New York City to uh, to do this? Uh, it's not quite as bad as the Eritreans. Uh, hasn't erupted into violence yet. I mean, in Israel, it actually is, is, is violence between the two sides, obviously. Uh, but uh, somewhat uh, peaceful there still. But uh, that's that's what I'm reminded about. A lot of people don't like the, the overhaul that, it, that Netanyahu is seeking to do. Now, I think it, it's, it, it genuinely is probably designed, that whole thing, that whole drama about what he's doing, uh, basically what, trying to s- bypass, right, the Supreme Court in Israel and stuff like that. Um, there, there's other components to it as well, but I've seen some of the criticism of it. Uh, 
uh, will probably be aimed at um, making sure that Israel can, how do I put this, fulfill its 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 what it believe is its messianic mission. I wouldn't. I mean, it might not be the primary thing, or it could be the primary thing, but we'll see what comes out of that. I, I would assume that like. At least in Netanyahu, maybe even the other, uh, the opposition would do the same, to be honest. But I think a lot of that is like positioning Israel in that kind of pinnacle pinnacle position, right? Uh, they're going to build a third temple and all that stuff. It's going to be highly religious, a lot of this. And, and as far as I understand it, at least, more of the opposition here comes from more uh, left-leaning Jews and Israelis. Uh, that seems to be kind of the, the divide and light, to be honest. Okay, so, so while all this money... Uh, especially from the U.S., but also from uh, Europe, has been poured into Ukraine. Um, the national debt for Ukraine is at a historic high, believe it or not. Big surprise, right? Just past 30, 33 trillion. Uh, just yesterday, I believe it was. U.S. national debt hits $33 trillion for the, for the first time in history, yeah, that that that's right, Daily Mail. That is definitely a first time in history. I don't think they had. I don't think they had a. Call me crazy, but I don't think they had a thirty-three trillion dollar debt before. As Congress careens towards a shutdown in just eleven days, ten now, considering that this was yesterday. U.S. national debt reached thirty-three trillion trillion for the first time, according to the Treasury. The Treasury Secretary said. She was not yet worried as interest was reasonable. It's We're doing fine. It's doing great, folks. Don't worry about it. Congress must fund the government before September 30 to avoid a shutdown. Maybe a, call me, maybe a, a shutdown is just what we need. Huh? How about that? Maybe we should just shut everything down and then just see what happens. <laughs> maybe it's better at this point. I don't think doing nothing would at least not end you up, end you up further trillions in debt, I would assume. Maybe less money for uh, for the effort of killing Ukrainians. Maybe, maybe that maybe that would be a good idea. Ay, ay, ay. The Treasury Department noted the debt reached $33.04 trillion on Monday, meaning it had spiked by $1.58 trillion since the debt ceiling was lifted in early June. Is that the fastest uh, debt ever? Is that, is that what it is? Whew. After years of extreme spending, the country reached its debt ceiling of $31.4 trillion in January. And months later, in May, Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to suspend the cap until January 2025. Although the ceiling has now been lifted, Congress must continue to devise ways to fund the government. Funding is established through September 30th, but beyond that, new legislation will be needed. Just, uh, why don't we just keep printing money? Just keep splurting out the money. Is uh, that That's going to be, that's going to end real, real well. This pain should have been taken taken much sooner, obviously, right? Of, of trying to correct and fix this issue of, you know, the crime of what the Federal Reserve has done. Um, just, you could go on and on, going off the gold standard and just you know printing more money and you know the, the hyperinflation that's inevitably comes in the wake of something like this, right? 
you know, barring that they're doing some weird like, ah, we're, we're just going to press the reset button here and uh, now we have a new global coin available uh, and we'll just write it off, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but the, the, the Band-Aid's going to have to be ripped off at some point. Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's it just, well, we gotta, we got to fund more. we gotta, we got to print more money. That's their, that's, their, uh, that's their solution to everything. Check this one out. Credit card debt at $1 trillion is a sign of consumer strength, says Bloomberg. <laughs> if, you get, if you're talking about like Orwellian uh, gaslighting uh, shit takes, right? Bloomberg has some of the best ones. Uh, why, you know, well, it was New York Times, I think. But like, why free speech is killing us. New York Times, why you should stop doing your own research. It's a sign of consumer strength that people can't afford to pay their bills, so they have to uh, put it on credit cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times. Meanwhile, of course, we have uh, de-civilization continuing, which, of course, is all according to plan. If you want to go, you want to go net zero and carbon free, you obviously the only way to do that is to de-civilize everything. Right? De-civilization is 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 key in this. Someone had a short video here. Look at all the all the things that have gone under in the uh, U.S. That's some based and red pilled uh, music right there. Sears, you remember that? Sears, Radio Shack, Kmart. What else was it? That the Toys R Us, Sports Authority, <laughs> Pay Less Shoes. Never heard of some of these. <clears throat> it's just a little sample, just a little slice for you right there. As uh, as decivilization continues. Uh, Things are going under, things are going uh, bankrupt, and they can't keep up with it. They can't pay their bills, right? Meanwhile, <clears throat> I know, let's let's bring in more cheap labor. Let's just uh, have a, a as a porous border as we possibly can uh, in the U.S. That, that, will, that will fix the problem right there. Uh, we need more cheap labor for some of these big companies so they can fail quicker. Check this one out here. Hundreds of African migrants sneak into the U.S. in broad daylight after exploiting immigration loophole in Nicaragua that allows them in with no questions asked for just $160. Daily Mail traveled to Lukeville, Arizona, and saw at least 600 migrants, many of them African refugees, crossing. How did they get over to the South American side, right? Uh, crossing the southern border on one day alone. Maybe Hyas uh, picked up the tab and paid for their bill. Uh, anyway, they go through this, this, uh, different scenarios here. Joe, yeah, someone said here, uh, someone from West Africa of Mauritania threw himself into the ground and prayed seconds after squeezing through the steel fence at the Mexican border. Joe Biden opened the door for us, he gleefully yelled. As dusk fell and the migrants waited to be picked up and processed by U.S. authorities, I wanted to come here to be free. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of freedom uh, in the U.S. right now. 
Uh, you cannot put a price on what's wrong with uh, uh, Mauritania. Why, why don't you uh, why don't you try to clean up Mauritania instead? Uh, one of the increasing numbers of migrants from several African countries are now joining the influx along the southern border. Uh, but while Baba, 25, thanked Biden's border control policy for the chance of a new life in America, there is really one other person he should be showing his gratitude to. That man is Daniel Ortega, the 77-year-old longtime strongman in Nicaragua, a close ally of the late Cuban dictator Fidel Castro, and an impeccable foe of the United States, which has imposed sanctions on his country. So, of course, he's, you know, what, like, uh, Gaddafi in Libya threatened there for a while, too, right? You better... You, know, you better play nice with us or we're going to uh, open up the borders. And then they took him out and then the borders were opened. And now that Libya uses it as a, as a launching pad uh, of uh, North African and uh, sub-Saharan African migrants to just pour into Europe from there. Uh, here's, the, uh, here's the video here. <clears throat> Looks easy enough. Remember that we saw the... Uh, let me show a photo of them just... Actually, they had welded open certain portions here. But yeah, this is... <laughs> Here's your, here's your fence, folks. I don't think there's any audio on this, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Yep, there's the, uh, there's the footage here. Oh, finally, I'm free. I'm free to go and get a... get a welfare check. Here they come, one after another, born over. And I mean, this didn't used to happen, right? Because they just said if you if you cross the border uh, illegally like that, you'll get arrested and thrown back. You might even have been shot. You get a warning from the border patrol, right? You, you'll get what are you doing? You'll get shot. We kill you if you uh, try to cross. Remember what they did in Israel? They just shot those uh, Eritrean migrants. It was not a big deal. Here, here, of course, we we have to. <clears throat> oh, is this oh wonderful? So we got we got the the two upsides here of just uh, a Muslim and a uh, sub-Saharan African. Uh, two for one. Yeah, there is a border guard. They're just standing there, waiting up, lining up. Okay, well, I want to seek asylum. Oh, it's a it's a human right. Anybody can do this. You, you this, it's um, the the law, the agreements that the U.S. Uh, have signed. Same thing, of course, with uh, most European countries. Well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's time to uh, jump off of those types of agreements and those international uh, treaties, whatever you're part of. Is that, uh, actually, if you cross the border, we won't process you. How about that? Maybe that's one way to do it. Uh, this is a good one. One of the migrants waved for the DailyMail.com camera after crossing through the border fence with two others. If white people tried this shit in any other, pick any other non-white country, they'd be uh, they'd be shot and they'd be like taken to prison and like raped. Probably doesn't matter how many it was. They would, they would they would still you know keep keep them out. And of course the big. Uh, the big key here is, well, they'll take care of us when we're older, right? We're gonna, we uh, we need them uh, to clean our toilets, right? Because we don't, we don't. There's no one that wants to do that in the West anymore, especially with uh, technology like this. This is the future. Evolution. There you go. 
that's how you clean your toilets. Uh, that's why you don't have to import people, folks. It's it's not it's not hard. <laughs> it's very it's very simple. Meanwhile, uh, uh, there's plenty of critiques of uh, a Viktor Orban and Hungary and stuff like that. And, and no, they're not super based, and they have a lot of problems. But they do things right when it comes to a child uh, and family friendly uh, policy in the country, which of course is one of the reasons why they're uh, so hated. They're going against this grain. They're not promoting you know racial mixing. Uh, for the most part, on, on on the media, we saw one piece of like they're doing that out of Poland now, but that was, that was one of many, right? It's not as common, uh, a, and the pressure now is to these countries to submit and do exactly the same what the uh, EU have done: uh, open the borders, letting just a, a, an enormous amount of migrants into your country, while you propagandize the population into thinking, well, they'll take care of us when we're older. You see, to get the to have the GDP continue high, we have to let them in. And they'll, uh, you know, they'll uh, they'll wipe your butt when uh, when you're too old uh, to. They'll take care of us. Um, and then they propagandize their daughters and granddaughters uh, to to marry with these people, so that we're hopelessly mixed out. So, uh, right according to the Kalergi plan, nobody knows who's anything. And then voila, we've solved racism. Of course, that's not how it works. It just gets worse and worse. And in fact, the more diverse many places get, the more segregated they get, which is an interesting effect. Anyway, this is what Orban uh, said recently regarding uh, family policy, that if you're truly in need of you know, a population increase, or at least sustaining your population, I don't think that's endlessly... That's not the point here either. We don't have to just you know drown in more people, e- even if it was us. That would be preferable to what's happening now, obviously. But I'm saying even that, I don't think, is 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 that necessary, right? It's it's the uh, the capitalist systems, the economic models uh, that we've been suffering under for decades now that's demanding this. It's not the people of these countries that, that that's demanding this. Uh, we should do what, what Orban and they're doing in Hungary. They should encourage births among the native population, right? In Hungary, we've set five demographic goals, Orban said here. The first is that having children should be an advantage. The second is to help people create homes. The third is to base family policy on mothers. The fourth is that the operation of the entire country must be changed to a family-friendly one. And finally, families must also be protected by means of the law. Since 2010, the per capita income of families with children has doubled. And the per capita income of families with several children has tripled. In Hungary. Uh, in Hungary, not only does... We're going to fast, Orban. Slow down. In Hungary, not only does the level of happiness increase with the number of children, but also people's annual income. Since the introduction of the Family Home Creation Support Program, one in five families has acquired a new home. This includes those who previously had no home. It also includes those who have made their existing home suitable for more children. Meanwhile, you look at like you know Canada and some of these pl- places, right? It's just nowhere to 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 live, and they keep opening in the borders. And then the Trudeau, I think it was Trudeau, right? He said, uh, actually, the solution uh, to the housing crisis is more immigration. <laughs> I think it was like a, a Babylon B headline, but it was uh, no. Apparently, that was that was uh, it, it, that was a real uh, a real argument made by some of these crazy shitlib, right? 
so pro- note the protection part here because we're going to go into uh, going to go into Sweden next here after Hungary. I have a couple of more things on the uh, on the Hungarian front. Uh, you know, safety, uh, high trust society, and things like that. All of those things, obviously, as you guys know, if you're regular viewers, is that all that stuff goes out the window when you uh, walk away from a homogenous population and you bring in these uh, uh, people uh, from the uh, second and third world. And in some cases, you can even bring, as unfortunate that is, uh, you can bring in people from other European countries. And even even that creates issues in in some cases, like we've seen uh, in Ireland and, and Norway with some of the uh, you know, Ukrainian immigrants are coming in. And, and one of the reasons for that is, of course, that there's no housing. So there's resentment and competition and it gets worse and problematic and blah, blah, blah. Here's uh, uh, speaking of uh, how they're going after Hungary. Now, this is the U.S. We'll get to Sweden in a moment of how, how they're trying to give <laughs> Hungary shit for their policies while Sweden is completely crumbling and falling apart, while internationally the reputation is, has been... T- Dis, like shattered, it's been destroyed, it's been broken, ripped up, crushed. There's nothing left. Sweden is being used as a terrifying example to the rest of the world of wh- why you should not do what Sweden just has done. Anyway, before we get to that story, his remix. Hungarian left accused of treason for accepting U.S. campaign money to remove Orban from power. Recently, a former CIA analyst said that the U.S. meddled in the 2022 Hungarian elections. How about that? I'm going to read this here. It's an interesting article. Speaking of like, oh, you know, meddling in the elections and blah, blah, blah. How could they? A private Hungarian citizen filed a complaint with both Hungarian police and prosecutorial authorities after a former CIA analyst went public with a statement that the CIA attempted to interfere in the 2022 Hungarian elections and remove Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban from power. Former analyst Larry C. Johnson said in a podcast at the beginning of September, it is interesting that although in 2016 the Americans were deeply outraged by the alleged Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election campaign in 2022, we directly interfered in the Hungarian elections, which Viktor Orban won again. Asked whether the CIA intervened to stop Orban, Johnson said yes to defeat him, which, among other things, America was trying to achieve by funding Orban's opponents. Private Hungarian citizen Istvan Tenye wrote to the police and the prosecutor's office that they should investigate whether the crime of treason could be suspected against Hungarian citizens who, though the Action for Democracy Foundation, may have been involved in influencing the parliamentary elections through a foreign government or organization. Remix Remix News reported on the funding scandal last year in which Hungary's uh, leading left liberal opposition candidate, Peter Marki Zay, admitted himself in August 2020 during his podcast, Goulash Cannon, that his campaign was still receiving funds from the U.S. Foundation Action for Democracy. Is that uh, Soros, I assume? Yeah, I'd say Soros drop below here. The Shadowy Group sent HUF 1.8 billion, holy shit, 4.48 billion euros in mostly U.S. donations through an NGO which is closely tied to billionaire, oligarch, Jewish subversive George Soros, 
Officials connected with Hillary Clinton and a number of leading transatlantic organizations, such as the Council on Foreign Relations. All the usual suspects, right? Ah, gee, I wonder why they're trying to destroy Hungary uh, and upset what seems to be a sane and sensible position on family policy, among others. Which is also, of course, about getting them to accept immigration, you know, opening up their borders, uh, start to propagandize their people to uh, to mix out and, and uh, you know, destroy themselves and these kinds of things, right? Just turn those notifications off. That's annoying. Uh, continues here. Marky Zay revealed that Action for Democracy, which is headed by David Kuranyi, a former advisor to Gergli Krasovny, sorry, I'm butchering some of these names here, sent the money in one batch, but he claimed that other transfers had also come from this organization in the past. So how did they do that? Just, they just wire, they just, oh, let's just wire, uh, let's just wire 4.48 million euros. Not a problem. Not flagged or anything like that, right? Since then, a new declass, meanwhile, of course, you know, right-wing oppositions and dissidents and nationalists, you know, can't barely even have bank accounts for the most part, you know, but that, this, it's not a problem. Since then, a new declassified intelligence document has come to light, revealing that there is not one, but two major foreign donors to the dollar left, which is the term increasingly used within the Hungarian media. In addition to the American Action for Democracy, a Swiss foundation has also transferred nearly uh, 1 billion to the HUF. Uh, the Swiss transfers were made in five installments from the beginning of the left-wing primaries between September 2021 and February 2022. Open investigations have also been launched in the above cases, with the police investigating the misuse of personal data and the National Tax and Customs Administration looking into budget fraud. The National Bureau of Investigations launched an investigation into money laundering and embezzlement as well, which has since been taken over by the tax authorities. Okay, interesting. So there you go. That's what they uh, That's what they do. This is uh, from about a week ago here, too. Uh, Sweden has joined into this fight as well, which is, you know, just not even just... It's shocking, yes, uh, but it's predictable. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole video. Uh, it's 10 minutes long. Uh, it was, I guess, the situation was summarized thusly uh, by Balzac Orban, which is the political director of Prime Minister Viktor Orban, member of the Hungarian parliament. Is he related? Are they related? Probably not. But who knows? Maybe they got some healthy nepotism going over there. Huh? So it's something we need <laughs> to, take, to take back our countries. But anyway... Shocking teaching video approved by the Swedish government attacking Hungary. How should we convince Hungarian MPs to back Sweden's NATO membership when our democracy is rep repeatedly questioned, insulting both our voters and the entire country? Actions like this will definitely make negotiations more challenging. And at one point was like, well, good, maybe we, they shouldn't approve. Uh, okay, this, there's some subtitles. We can look at like a minute or something like that so you can get an idea of what they're what they're talking about. Um, it's, which is so weird, right? The, you know, Na you know, Orban's Hungary is like a NATO member, which is like, you should not be part of any of these groups, any of these organizations, uh, but they are. And maybe if they were in a position, please, you know, you know, keep the, keep the lid on, keep, keep, uh, you know, close the doors on the NATO membership for Sweden, um, would not have anything against that whatsoever. Let's just take a look a little bit here. So what they're talking about. It's funny though. It's like, oh, it's a. 
it's not a democracy and Orban's a dictator and blah, 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 all these things. And of course, next we'll take a look at uh, what the hell is happening in Sweden. So since 2010, when Orban was first elected, democracy in Hungary slowly became unexistent. So he was elected, but democracy has become non-existent. Makes sense, right? Makes total sense. What is right to do? Should man leave Ungern? For to say that I don't this system. We don't want to leave. Yes, leave Hungary. Get the hell out then if you don't like it. We like it here, but he and the Fidesz makes it impossible to stay. Get out. Yeah, the EU in focus. The EU and democracy is the title of this. About 2,000 Hungarians have protested outside Parliament in Budapest, saying press freedom is under threat following the closure of the country's leading leftist newspaper. Oh no! Oh no! Har Ungerns demokrati förändrats? Och 2018 kategoriserades Ungern som det minst demokratiska landet i EU i amerikanska Freedom House Demokrati Index. Yes, totally. No, that's probably not a, a, a global homo group or anything like that. It's uh, fair and balanced, uh, I'm sure. Regeringen har kritiserats för inskränkningar i press och yttrandefriheten, rättsstatsprinciperna, minoritetsrättigheter och akademisk frihet. The Hungarian government issued a decree last Friday to ban gender studies programs. Oh no! Oh my God! How dare they? Uh, do what they want with their own country. So here's the conservatives, right? We moderates have been very clear that we think that the measures has been taken uh, and we think that Viktor Orban has crossed all limits. Here's your here's your conservative options here, right? The moderate party is just like, well, if there's one thing we can do, it's to stand up for the the you know for, for the chopping off genitals of little kids. Meanwhile, of course, uh, Swedish boys, young boys, are being raped at schools in Sweden now. We'll talk about that in a moment. Viktor Orban has passed all the borders. The time of warning is now really over. We have to come up for the Hungarian population who is structurally benadeled by her own... You mean the subversive leftists in the country? They're finally being pushed out. And even, even that, I mean, I've said it many times, you know, Orban is not ideal, Hungary is not ideal, they have their own... A whole other set of problems and stuff like that. But even as mild as they are on, on fighting back on just some of the issues, the rest of the EU establishment cannot take it. And, and obviously, um, the shit leftists in Sweden would make videos like this to try to like undermine. And so, well, basically, well, basically, we kind of just have to go in there and uh, and topple the regime and put a leftist in uh, that will open the borders and start promoting race mixing for the uh, for the Hungarian people. Uh, it, barring that happening. Uh, we will not support Hungary. Nu bildades efter andra världskrigets slut. Nu ville staterna bevara freden och samarbeta inom ekonomiska och demokratiska frågor. Just den demokratiska aspekten även idag en av grundpelarna inom EU. Idag finns det krav på att medlemsländerna är demokratiska. Det regleras i Lissabonföredraget och i EUs grundläggande stadgar. Men vad händer när EU-länder börjar bryta mot de demokratiska... It's this uh, Trojan horse, right? Democracy. Uh, what was it? The uh, was it some of the founders that talk about talk about how democracy is one of the most extreme movements that have ever existed? <clears throat> I mean, think about it. One man, one vote. That's 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 crazy. That's insane. Got to look at the different qualities of people, right? Uh, I think personally, I think we should go back to uh, only uh, was only land owning white men that should be <laughs> should be able to vote. Uh, anyway. It goes on for just quite a while here and just undermines everything. Oh my God, all these, oh my God, the uh, slightly 
you know, pro-Hungarian, somewhat nationalistic government is is completely out of control. Uh, so hopefully, ideally, this would lead to you know Hungary and not approving a NATO membership for Sweden. But uh, that ship has sailed, so that's what it is. But anyway, so they have the gall to attack Hungary. Uh, and next, we're going to look at uh, what has happened recently uh, in Sweden here. Let's do a, uh, this is a Google, I think, translate uh, on this here. So some of the translation might be somewhat wonky. Uh, okay, this is, these stories are always, always hard to tackle, but uh, we'll do it. Uh, pupil raped on the, on the break, right? The school uh, recess, essentially. Uh, <clears throat> Oscar 11, the, the school have forced him to attend the same class as the rapist, as the perpetrator of his rape, right? A classmate raped Oscar 11 in the schoolyard. Actually, I haven't seen this video yet. The abuse was interrupted by a teacher. Nevertheless, the principal believes that Oscar should continue to be in the same class as the perpetrator. My boy refuses to go to school after what happened, but the school does not listen. And they threaten uh, basically to register you with the, the authorities, right? To like get your you know kid taken from you uh, because he's, he's now a... Uh, Translation a bit wonkier. She said he's become a, a stay-at-home uh, student, right? Or stay-at-home kid. In other words, he's skipping classes. He doesn't want to go back to school. No shit. It was in February this year that the mother received a call from the 11-year-old son's Oscars teacher. Something serious had happened during a break at school, and the mother was called to a meeting that afternoon. Then the teacher told me that a student had raped my son on the recess, the break, on that day, on the day before. It's the worst conversation I've ever had in my life, she says. I don't recognize my boy. Upstairs in the family uh, house in a smaller town in Skåne, Oscar Place, which is uh, this weird translation there. Um, they go into the personal story here a little bit more, but here's, a, here's the mom. Obviously, here's the, the boy's hands here as he's protecting his identity here, right? She says... Um, the report states that the school related to the event on the uh, on the recess directly as an abuse which surprised her because then I do not understand at all why they chose to inform me the day after the rape took place how can they not call me right after it happened how could they not even call the same day according to the mother and and you know it's not. It's not mentioned here that, that you will always Swedish media. They co- even if they know the ethnicity of the guy, they cover for them. They don't reveal any names, identities, and blah 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 stuff like that. I'm you know I'm ninety ninety nine percent confident that this is a. I, I, we know it's a fifteen year old boy, so he's older than this kid, right? But it's a it's a migrant, right? Especially school in the south of Sweden, it's going to be a migrant. There's just, there's just no doubt about it, right? It's a fifteen year old migrant, an, an invader. Uh, that I have butt-raped an 11-year-old Swedish boy. And the mom goes on here talking about how basically as PTSD, she doesn't even recognize him. Listen to this. According to the mother, the school should have said that the principal was not available on that day and they wanted to wait for the principal's directive regarding this. Uh, I'm angry, she said. Translation wonky. I think the school has handled this completely wrong from day one. I do not recognize my boy after what happened. He used to be so full of life. Now he dreams. He has nightmares um, and panic attacks. He shows symptoms similar to PTSD. 
Yeah, no shit. <sighs> Holy shit. Can you imagine? After the abuse, the school shut down or cl closed off. They, they excluded the student, the suspected student. And according to the mother, they would announce if or when he would return. But two weeks later, my boy came home from school. He was upset. He was scared. And he said, Mom, you promised me that the other boy would not be in school. But he was there today, he told me. That, uh, he, he said that the boys had met in the schoolyard. The rape was reported to the school three days after it took place. But since the suspected perpetrator is on... Okay, I said 15. He's under the age of 15. I believe it was a... I believe he was older than the 11-year-old. Um, but he's... Okay, he's under the age of 15. He does not risk being brought to trial. Right? This is the other thing that's happening right now. Same thing with these like 13-year-old, 14-year-olds are being recruited to some of these criminal gangs that we talked about last uh, week in Sweden. The entire criminal system is... Don't know how to deal with this, right? Obviously, these people need to be tried like they are adults they're acting they're doing crimes which adults do they need to be tried as adults i don't care what age they are if you rape someone else that's it you're out i mean if it's an immigrant deport them and deport their parents immediately day one boom out <sighs> if it's another swedish kid that did it yes yeah, put them in jail get rid of them why would you want to have rapists? Why and why does these goddamn schools bring them back into the classes again? Oh well, we can't. Oh well, legally, there's nothing we can do. They're losing. Like the one thing that the state has here, right, is is monopoly on violence, and that's what Sweden is losing. They're losing control. The, the gang criminality is out of control. Every, essentially, everything is out of control in the country. And this is just like, I mean, yes, you have problems with mass shootings and gang crime and all these things, right? But that's just like one aspect of the thousands of other items that arises when they're doing these replacement programs, running these population replacement programs. The police investigation into rape against children has been handed over to the social administrations in the municipalities. It's not even like what a criminal investigation anymore. That's how fucked up this is. Who can then decide on any measures? Despite this, the school thinks the boy should be in the same class, the mother says. Every day is becoming a struggle to get him to go to school. I have to lift him. Oh, my God. I have to lift him out of the door. He used to love school. Now he's afraid to go there. Yeah, gee, I wonder why. And you know she's she's probably poor. She has a job there. She can't she can't leave. She can't move. She she just can't do it. She's probably a single mom. I just my guess. You know what I mean? That's just my guess. And then so you know going back to that video right of like oh people are not safe in in Hungary anymore. There's problems in Hungary. Oh my God, this undemocratic and stuff. What the fuck do you call this shit? That's what they should be doing videos about right now. How do we lose control? How come crime is out of this world? It's like never seen before. The reputation, which is something, you know, Swedes used to care about a lot. I mean, they still do, especially you know, those political positions and stuff like that, media, blah, blah, blah. But like the reputation, you know, kind of thing. 
what others think of Sweden in other nations internationally. Now they're willing to look the other way for this kind of shit and, and, and instead point fingers at other countries. Unbelievable. Anyway, this, it's written. It's written a little bit in like a lo- kind of long form stuff, right? Oscars have nightmares and panic attacks after the abuse. Uh, yeah, double punishment. The expert, Mikkel Halstadius, Halstadius, assistant professor at Stockholm University, has worked as a school law expert for over a decade. He says he has seen other similar cases. Of course, so it's not just it's not just a, a crazy one-off, folks. It's uh, several of these now where students have been subjected to sexual offenses and then forced to attend the same class as the perpetrator. Well, being a rapist, folks, is just a uh, it's just a a sexual identity. It's just a, a sexual preference. It's nothing to do with anything. It may be that schools are afraid of making mistakes when it comes to a suspected perpetrator's education and that they then go too far the other way. Who gives a shit about their fucking education? Get them out of the fucking school. Punish them. Go after them. There's complete inability to handle any kind of criminal activity, especially then if it's juveniles, minors, and stuff like that. The system doesn't even know how to deal with it. And as we reported last time, right? Oh, the, the solution then by a lot of the cucked politicians who supposedly are, are more on the right or they're more nationalistic, whatever, and that includes the support from Sweden Democrats, which falls into that category, is, oh, we've granted ourselves more uh, surveillance capabilities, you know, to try to prevent gang criminality in the country. You think you think that's the solution to this? Um, have a trial, have a fair trial. Um, if they're found guilty, you basically need to go back to, and this is this is true for pedophiles, convicted pedophiles, convicted rapists, no matter who or what they rape, uh, gang criminality, those who are found to, you know, abuse and and use, um, you get like treason, you know, things like that, right? Abuse and, and uh, misuse uh, some of the, you know, national programs that we have in a country like Sweden uh, should not only, of course, be deportations. You need to have you need to make a public example out of these people. That's the only way that's going to start. So the, many of these people only speak one language, and that language is called force. And the more, like Swedish politicians have been trying to do, the more you try to uh, go out into the uh, which is suburbs, which is for the American audience, doesn't mean anything like it does in the U.S., right? Suburbs is usually like that's where the white people live. Suburbs here is like the million program shoebox gulag apartment uh, complexes. That's where those are for the most part. Well, they're in they're in the big anywhere in the big cities now too, unfortunately. But um, that's where the immigrants are. That's where the non Swedes are. So the police are trying to go out into some of those areas and basically like set up, you know, uh, you know, blow up what are called air castles and and and. Uh, Give the immigrant kids, uh, you know, cinnamon rolls and lemonade. That's basically how they try to. Well, if we if we just show them that we're very nice, they'll be nice to us too. 
They have no idea what the hell they're dealing with. They have no concept for the most part. No, no idea. And now, of course, you're seeing 13-year-olds killed, their bodies dumped in the woods, 11-year-olds raped in the school. At recess during school, they're anally raped now. Yeah, this is the headline is let me uh, let me I can do a better translation here. Check this one out from fridatider.se. Sverigebilden, which is like uh, we would translate the the image of Sweden, right? Like usually in terms of how it's seen internationally, right? Uh, Bullebun had become little Mogadishu. Bullebun is of course kind of one of the uh, Astrid Lindgren stories, right? I think they explain it in the story below. Germans uh, used to look up to that, right? Uh, Sweden is an exotic, kind of a, not an exotic in a sense, but like it's is an idyllic environment, right? And they've still kept that to a certain extent in Sweden. So they used to look up to that. Many countries looked up to Sweden. And now, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Uh, it's a shattered image. It's one that's being used as a, a terror example to other countries. Do not go this path. Do not do what they did. Because they're fucking retards. Talking about the people running the country now. The image of Sweden is an idyllic, an ideal, an idyllic image in Germany and many other countries have been crushed forever by the brutal multicultural violence that is shaking the Scandinavian country today. Even in China, people are concerned about the situation, according to an SVT correspondent. In Germany, the so-called Bullebi syndrome, we've talked about that in a previous uh, show, right? Uh, used to prevail for a long time. Many Germans regarded Sweden as an untouched, exotic, uh, idyllic uh, country, often characterized by seeing older films of the works of Astrid Lindgren, such as The Children in Bullebyn. However, the Swedish picture, the image of Sweden, has changed drastically in recent years. And in an article in the German newspaper Die Welt earlier in September, the development of violence in Sweden was described under the headline the noisy village became, oh, which is Bullebyn, right? The Bullebyn became Little Mogadishu. An SVT correspondent tells about a similar situation uh, that Sweden have and, and the, what the, how the image has transformed, translation may wonky here, uh, in other parts of the world. Even in China, where knowledge of Sweden is, to say the least, limited, reports uh, in, in newspapers there talk about gang violence, and on social media, Chinese have expressed concern about the developments in the Scandinavian country. They even, even they are concerned for us. Not, not our Swedish politicians doing this to us. And if they do, it's lip service. They talk, and it's not, not, nothing happens regarding that. Right? Nothing happens regarding it. And instead... You have countries, international, in other parts of the world, more concerned about what's happening in Sweden than our own, very own politicians, our very own people that are supposed to look out for us. It's incredible, right? Sweden is not what it once was, Sai, says a commenter, according to SVT's correspondent. Um, it, it, we have a clip here, a correspondent in Finland talks about how Sweden is described as a horror example and used by immigrant critical true Finns in election campaigns. I guess that's one of the light at the end of the tunnel here before we manage to turn things around let me play this clip here uh is of course that at least then we can use this and uh, we can use sweden as an example to how it's viewed in other parts of the world and if we can help to keep it you know at bay in other countries 
that's still a W. That's still a win. And then, of course, we're going to eventually turn things around in Sweden as well. Let me tr- let me like live translate this here for you. Check this out here. Här i Finland följer man intensivt och lite med misstro med det som händer i Sverige. Uh, in Finland, they are uh, intensely following and also uh, with a suspicion, I guess. Is that the best translation? Uh, with what is going on in, in Sweden Samtidigt right now. Samtidigt som Sverige är så väldigt nära så känns det långt borta från... Uh, even though Sweden is very close to Finland, it feels very far away for many people here in Finland. För många här i Finland. Or the reality for many here in Finland. Men Sverigebilden är i förändring och det som But the image of Sweden is in transformation, it's altering, it's being changed. Som händer i Sverige påverkar inrikespolitiken här i Finland. And what's happening in Sweden is actually affecting the internal politics of Finland. I riksdagsvalet i våras så gick högerpopulistiska sannfinländarna till val med att säga att Finland inte får bli som Sverige. Yeah, the true Finns went to election saying Finland cannot become like Sweden. <laughs> Sverige målades alltså upp som ett skräckexempel. Uh, Sweden was painted as a, uh, as a nightmare uh, example, right? a, a terrifying example. Uh, of what can happen if you if you implement these insane policies. Oh, Sanfinlanderna, de blev näst största parti. And the Trufins became almost became the uh, biggest oh, party. Oh, Finland står nu inför betydande skärpningar i invandringspolitiken. And f- uh, Finland is now um, um, on the cusp of uh, you know stri- uh, changing into stricter immigration um, policies. Which is good, of course. Kring invandringen och integrationen är både polariserad och infekterad. And the uh, debate regarding uh, immigration and uh, integration, <laughs> bullshit, shouldn't be in any immigration, is polarized and infected. See, it's almost like, it's kind of interesting, right? The spin, I feel, is almost, it's it's too, it's too bad in Sweden that other countries is pointing at it and going in a different direction. We have to, imp- can we, is that the thing with the moderate party and they talk about, I mean, Will it happen? That's a different thing. But, you know, when the new government came into uh, power in Sweden, like, we're going to overhaul the immigration system and, the, you know, stricter uh, requirements for asylum and blah, 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 all these things. If anything will happen remains to be seen. I don't think much have happened on this front. But is that just basically like a, a, another gay opera? Is that it, it's it's the same as some of these, like, uh, anti-woke activists on the conservative conning right who's like no 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 you got to slow this down like the white people are waking up we have to we have to stop making it so bad because it 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 sh- it serves as an example it's waking people up it's it's that's that's more dangerous than ethnically replacing a population and having 11-year-olds raped on recess at school and having 13-year-olds shot dead and dumped in the woods in Sweden that's you know, we, we we don't really care about that per se but we care about the image of those things and it's too bad it, it's it's not it's not good we can't use that now anymore is that what's going on here maybe that's what's going on <sighs> unbelievable times here's another one as i said before just like one of these examples right a, a million of the other things that's going on check out this one this <laughs> dr somalia was not a real doctor <laughs> who could have who could have known a fake doctor doc and this was his actual name dr somalia in trollhetan i used to live uh, just outside of trollhetan for a few years uh, back in 2011 to i forget when it was how many years 
Uh, and it, it's bad. Trollhättan is really bad, right? They're just pumping them in to uh, Trollhättan. Tons of crime there now, gang, criminality, shootings, all kinds of shit. We just have a clean house. You just normalize deportation, send them all back. It's the only way. This is the only way is normalize deportation politically, send them back home. Anyway, this Dr. Somalia in Trollhättan is said to have mistreated a number of patients. Let's guess what ethnicity those patients were. Let's guess what uh, what country they were uh, they are well not from in in this case it now appears that he was in fact an employed he was employed as a nurse but that he completely lacks healthcare experience or like any tra- formal training the fake doctor has a, according to a local paper in Trollhättan opened his own reception uh, at a uh, and, and a lab, I guess, or like a, um, yeah, like a, not an urgent care, perhaps, but like a, uh, uh, yeah, doctor's, uh, doctor's office, I guess we can say for short, uh, at uh, a health center in Trollhättan. The local newspaper reports on missing samples, incorrect test responses, and life-threatening advice to patients. David Pazuki, is, uh, as a medical manager at the Lextorp Health Center, sounded the alarm to the management about the misconduct, but then got fired himself. There you go. Remember the dentist? Remember the dentist and the doctor that looked at the teeth and, and knees? at these so-called migrant children that came in and they argued these these people, these men are like at least 30 years old and you're trying to teach, uh, treat them or deal with them like they're 16, 17 year olds. Oh, they're, they're kids, right? Oh, they're kids coming in. Those doctors were fired as well, remember? Pazuki talks about the response he received from the health center's manager, Tomas Nygen, when he confronted him about the fake Somali doctor. Tomas replied that, quote, we have hired him because of his life experience. <laughs> his life experience. Dr. Somalia, you're hired. Good, sir. Please come and misdiagnose some of our older patients here so we can have we can get some more people, uh, some more tired, boring old Swedes into a life-threatening situations by giving them the wrong medical uh, advice. Somalia, or Somali, the, the, the doctor here, states in a document that he is a trained nurse in his home country. But the man is completely missing from the National Board of Health and Welfare Registration of Healthcare Personnel. Do they have that in Somalia or, or, or are they talking about the one in Sweden right now? Very interesting. I assume in Somalia? No application for a professional title or nurse ID has been received. The only formal education uh, he has received is an approved grade in Swedish for immigrants. Uh, so SFI. I, I even t- I thought that for a while. Man, oh, holy shit, was that an experience. Yeah, I remember one time I tried to... Maybe I've told the story before, but I, I tried to teach... Uh, and I ra- an older Iraqi woman how to how to handle a mouse that when you when you move the mouse in in the physical space 
that also moves the mouse on the screen. Now I think I I think I did I speak English. I think I, although it's Swedish for immigrants, the 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 course that they're supposed to take and pass, right? We mostly spoke English, I think, to these people. And and I ran out of like analogies or I, I ran out of of ways to basically explain. I had to give. I couldn't. I it was impossible. I could not do it. It was impossible. I'm a very patient person. I'm a very you know. <laughs> I can. It was a lot of effort to try to teach this older Iraqi woman how a mouse works on the computer. It's like, what the hell is this? Like 2004, five, something like that, maybe? I I can't remember anymore. Something like that. Impossible. It was an impossible task. It was a one, it was the one place where my Faustian spirit gave up. There was no there was no room left for effort. There was no there was no fire left to 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 take on this task task that I've been given. I think I was there for like a year or six months or something like that. And holy shit, was that a mess? Ay ay Despite this, Dr. Somalia has been back to the story here, obviously. Despite this, Dr. Somalia has been working on advert, advising patients on the phone, examining patients, taking samples, working in the lab, and writing in patient records. It's a disaster, according to David Pazuki. Pazuki tells, among other things, that a patient who had a heart attack several times and called and told him that he just had chest pain. Dr. Uh, Somalia gave him the advice to take a, basically, a, uh, yeah, Oliver Dorn, what is that? That's a uh, aspirin, right? Take an aspirin. Somalis, uh, or the, Dr. Somali, have also opened their own business inside of the lab where compatriots to him run around. I'm not sure about the translation of that there. Uh, I guess just, yeah, uh, other Som- I assume it means other Somalis is just there, like, you know, hanging around basically in this, in this lab inside of the doctor's uh, office. He is said to have, on several occasions, also ignored the analysis of samples from cardiac patients citing that it was too expensive. A woman with lung cancer uh, tells the Trollatan local paper about her first visit to, quote, Dr. Somali in the lab. Several of his countrymen came into the lab. Someone drinks water, another one talks to him. So you're just hanging out. It's this uh, it's a Somali hangout to get together there in the doctor's office, presumably when then he's seeing other patients. Then... The doctor explained to the woman that the necessary samples she would uh, take were not needed. Dr. Somalia himself refers to the fact that everyone in his home country says a doctor to uh, says a doctor to everyone who works at a health center, hospital, or pharmacy. And uh, anybody who works there is a doctor. That's that's the that's the the bar. That's the uh, that's the only requirement you have. Well, if you work in a doctor's office. <laughs> that makes you a doctor. It's kind of like when you when you enter into Swedish soil, you become Swedish. Amazing how that works. All right, there you go. That's uh, the story of Doctor Somalia. Everybody, incredible, fascinating news. Uh, Lost Nation says uh, fourteen eighty eight. Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, they want you enslaved again. Says rape is part and parcel of living in a white country, being held in Jews' hands. And Gollum frontman 
there's nothing wrong in giving your children to the altar of being in a free and caring world. This is the way of a triple parenthesis democracy. Yeah, democracy has to be the shittiest uh, system ever. Uh, ever. Look, I know it meant something else back in the day, like when, you know, in Greek, uh, Greek terms, right? You had the ting in like Norse societies and stuff, which has kind of been compared to democracy, but that had nothing to do with <laughs> what, we, what we have today called the democracy. But anyway, yeah, thank you. Uh, they want you enslaved. Appreciate that. All right. I think we're ready to... Uh, a wrap up here. We had some uh, other ones, some other crazy stories. We'll save those, I think, for the next time. I think we've had enough with uh, Dr. Somalia here at the end, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, thank you. If you're uh, watching live or later on in the archives, we're going to uh, be back here tomorrow uh, with uh, Raging Dissident or Jeremy McKenzie. We're going to talk about the uh, hate gate scandal in Canada, which is uh, the the great the great uh, shame right now of Canada, it's an, an incredible story uh, in terms of what's going on, and so we'll be back with that. I haven't decided if we do it live yet. If we do, we'll try to uh, alert you to that a little bit earlier in the day. Uh, usually, I do find it more convenient convenient for some reason to actually pre-record interviews. That way, you can actually do more you know post production and stuff like that as well. Uh, but we might or we might not. So keep your eye. Uh, on our Telegram, t.me forward slash Red Eyes TV, you can follow our X account or Twitter, as it's uh, formerly known as, uh, x.com forward slash at Red Eyes TV, or you can uh, follow our Gab, which is the same thing, gab.com forward slash uh, Red Eyes TV. And we usually put kind of notifications there before we go live, uh, if we do go live tomorrow. Uh, otherwise, guys, definitely uh, get a membership with us. Sign up at redeyesmembers.com. You can do it at Odyssey or Subscribestar as well. Uh, we have some great content on our members' website for you guys. Western Warrior, check that out. Uh, one of our flagship shows, some of our best stuff that we do. We have a number of them in the archives, and not all of that, of course, is uh, is a disposable media as well. There's a lot of uh, stuff in there that uh, lasts through uh, time as well. Some good segments and stuff like that for you guys to enjoy. Second hour of many of the interviews that we do. Uh, we also, of course, have other exclusive videos there for members uh, as well. So definitely check that out. Uh, if you want to become a producer or executive producer, something we have here on Red Ice, we do want to expand. We want to grow further. Please uh, consider getting one of those uh, producer tiers or executive producer tiers. You can get it at RedEyesMembers.com or Odyssey or Subscribestar. If you signed up for one of those recently, we actually have, a, a I think, a couple of new ones. We're trying to get into the rotation here as well. If you signed up for that recently and you're not into the rotation, always make sure you write to us at RedEyes at ProtonMail.com and we'll get you in there. Thank you today to our executive producers, T. Lothrop Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Luck Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, French 47, Mark Smith, Noan Jeebs, President Obunga, Mongoose, William Fox, Angry White Soccer Mom, The Second Wanderer, Operation Werewolf, The Ride Never Ends, Francis Parker Yockey, Dillbob, Last Place Simp, Joseph Hart, Purple Haze, and we're going to get Colin in there as well. Thank you, Colin. Producers, we have Mr. Walker, 696, Yu Hanson, Leroy Dumont, Snark Pup, Eyes Open, Mr. Lemry, Yuri New, Obadiah Hexwell, Perfect Brute, Single Action Army, and Kami Combo Deal. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Once again, you can get one of those tiers. If you want to shout out at the end of the show, want a little bit more closer contact with us in terms of guests that you'd like us to reach out to, 
or if you have topics you'd like us to cover in the shows and things like that, uh, definitely check that out. Helps us tremendously. Uh, otherwise, if you cannot, uh, definitely sign up for a membership if you can. Ten bucks a month. If you want it cheaper, you can get a longer subscription. So it's more money up front, but you save uh, a lot of money that way. If you get a two-year one, for example, uh, it's almost 35% off. Uh, check that out. Great way of supporting us as well. Uh, I just want to check so we are cut up here at the end. We're not missing any of these. So we'll be back tomorrow, guys, with uh, Raging Dissident. And then, of course, after that, we do have Flashback Friday, as usual, back with more then. Thank you so much for watching and listening today. We appreciate you guys. Thank you to everyone who super chatted today. Thank you to all our members. Thank you to all our producers and executive producers out there. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for watching. Go to RedIceMembers.com and sign up for our exclusive members content. Don't miss our latest shows, interviews, and other videos only for subscribers. You can also become a member by signing up at Subscribestar.com forward slash RedIce. Get full access and help support our work. See you on the other side.